Jason Silva, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Third degree, right? Yeah, third degree. School owner, gym owner, Selva BJJ in uh, in Alhambra. East Los Angeles, California. East Los Angeles. Started in formerly, Alhambra. Formerly, formerly. But now two blocks away from where I grew up, so. Nice, nice. Marketer, marketer, a long time uh, marketer. Uh, somebody I always reach out to for uh, for ideas and advice. And uh, the founder of B-Town Barbecue, which yes. I hope to uh, be talking to you about today. Definitely. We have a brisket back there. Yeah, you so got you, you some briskets. <laughs> thanks for coming out, man. No, definitely. It was uh, Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. I know I shot that message out. Just trying to get a little bit of, you know, beat down story yeah. a little bit. You know, it's been a trying 18 months yeah. for many people, especially yeah. if you're here in Southern California. It's easy to feel dejected. And I hope, you know, to get to tell the story of Beat Down Barbecue, mm. how it started, you know, what came out of it. And, you know, it can really be a beacon of light and hope for everything that's going on. You know, when the chips are down, just like, you know, jujitsu or MMA, you mm. got to adapt. So that's what we did. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so tell, tell me the story, man. How, how did it, like, how did it happen? I've been seeing the, the ads and the ads, but the just content out there yeah no i mean it got a lot, lot more viral than i had expected mm -hmm. barbecue and cooking i think maybe next to jujitsu is probably what i like doing the most um my personality type i don't like to wait for anything so my earliest memories are me making eggs at two years old with my grandma two years old two years old i didn't like to wait for anybody to make me food and it's I've always been like that um, always been cooking. My parents cooked in front of me. They made, you know, baby food for me, and now I'm making baby food for my son. And I guess those, you know, images are ingrained in the back of my head. There's, I was always around the kitchen. Um, at some point, a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, <laughs> by the way, right? You're, how old is your son, is your son now? He's, he's a year old. A just year turned old. turned a year, okay, August. Okay. Uh, so one more year before he starts cooking, huh? Yeah, one more year. He watches, though. He watches he the watches. recipes. It's, it's interesting, you know, being a father and seeing how fast they pick up. Like, he knows when I'm in the kitchen that he's about to eat. He'll, he'll wait. He sees me starting the machines. If I start eating, he gets really mad if he doesn't, you know, have anything. Mm. So, yeah, cooking was something I always did. Uh, barbecue was... I, I remember watching a TV show like on uh, Food Network and mm. being kind of intrigued about it. Mm. Like in the early 2000s, I made horrible barbecue then. And then um, actually I really got into it after I won the Abu Dhabi trials. So, you know, in 2009, most people know, I won the Abu Dhabi trials. I ran my weight class in, you know, three minutes. That time I was undersized. You leg locked everybody, right? Yeah, three heel hooks. No, two heel hooks and one toe hold. So I got, um, you know, I qualified, but I was undersized. I was walking around at 187. Weight class was 195. Mm. This year they were talking about Pajaras being in there, uh, St. Pierre being in there, and I was like, I got yeah. to get bigger. So, you know, I had stopped lifting weights, and back then I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew to go hard. You know, so long story short, I was lifting weights, and my bench broke, and my body overcompensated. As I reached forward, my entire pec muscle came off. Mm. So I didn't get a chance to go compete. I tried to wait it out. Emailed, you know, um, the guy's name. I forgot the guy's name. The one that was coordinating the plane yeah, tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back I, in those days. Yeah, I said, yeah, you know, I can't make it. I said, cool. And during that time, I had surgery. Luckily, you know, um, I ended up um, ended up getting surgery two days after I got hurt. One of my students worked at USC, and I had tried to reach out to them to get my chest surgery done. They're like, it's going to take three months. And one of my students was like, are you trying to reach Dr. Edamora? I said, yes, I am. He's like, I'm his direct assistant. We'll get you in Oh, tomorrow. wow. So Lockdown, before huh? even insurance had trying to prove everything, I was already getting everything, you know, sewn up, done up. And 
good to go. And there's always, you know, a silver lining. You know, God gives a certain certain deck of cards. You got to deal with it. You know, we're not going to get out of this life, you know, without being tried. It's not a smooth ride for anybody. So it's safe to say that the gym never would have grown to what it is now had mm -hmm. I not had that injury. Because back then, it was an old school mentality. Like, I was running my gym kind of like Lions Den. You had to have a tryout to even sign up. And it wasn't being run like a, like a school. It was it's a, a fight club. Yeah, basically, it was it was a fight club is what it was. And you know, when and you were probably pretty young, too, right, when you started yeah, yeah, your gym? I was 24, 25 yeah, when yeah. I started the gym. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we went ahead and did that and had allowed me to really focus on my students and, you know, and being a teacher and really falling in love with teaching again because I never sought out to have a school ever. I just wanted to just compete. And what happened when I was, you know, with Johnny Ramirez, mm. he had me teach a class. I didn't want to do it. I'm like, all right, I'll help my coach. So let's go back in time. You uh, you grew up in L.A.? Yeah. Where would you grow up? East Los Angeles, um, right by Cal State L.A., El Sereno area. Nice. And did you play any other sports? or? Um, I did track and field, and I did musical theater. Musical theater. Yeah. <laughs> I was a good swing dancer, except for the dancing part. I was really good at the stunts, and we got second place in the state. Nice. Um, I ran track. I did, the, I did the 100 meter. 100 I meter. Was, yeah, I was the okay. fastest kid in school. Nice. Um, had the LA City record for like a weekend, and then someone went ahead and, and broke it. You know, so those were the only sports that I did. There was a fund for wrestling, but it was never... Like, it was just like a fun. There was no coach. So we never mm. got a chance to wrestle. Yeah. In track, we didn't really have a track team. We were coaching ourselves. My practice was racing every Friday. You know, so I didn't get a chance to do that. But, you know, we saw UFC tapes. I used to get the VHSs, and we would do this like... This during high school? Yeah, we did, like, underground fight club in the hallways during, you know, lunch break. Nice. And then you're like, I want to learn this jiu-jitsu stuff. Yeah, I wanted to learn jiu-jitsu. I remember telling my mom, there's this place. It's in Newport Beach. It's not that far. It's 50 miles. We can get there 50 minutes out, 50 minutes back, <laughs> not knowing what was happening. So it didn't work. And then I found a submission factory with Larry Landless. Mm. That's going back, way back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, went, I showed up one day, and Tito Ortiz was training there. Uh, like, uh, referee extraordinaire, right? Yeah. It was an underground illegal fight club that was being done in the wrestling room at 9 p.m. when the school was closed. So that was my first experience. Um, my first match ever was against, well, not ever, it was a training session against Charlie Valencia. He busted my nose open, and they just king threw of the, the Old school, king of the cage guys. Yeah, and then Joe Camacho popped my arm out of place. That's how my first training session went, and I loved it. And you, you never looked back. Yeah, they got shut down, and then I found Johnny Ramirez, and the plan was I'm always going to go back to Submission Factory and see this like little guy like really beat me up. Because mm. at the time, I was, I was kind of big. I was like 210, lifting a lot of weights. But it was a fight club, like fight clubs thing. I mean, but no, it was, it was, it was yeah. part, of, part of it, right? Part of it, you're like, I want to be, I want to be. Yeah. Tough, tough. I want to I wanna be, exactly. be like these guys. And then I met, found Real Jiu-Jitsu, and then I never turned back. Then you found what? Real Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, yeah, Real Jiu-Jitsu, Real Jiu-Jitsu school. How was, that, how was that finding like Real Jiu-Jitsu? Like, you know, because people, like, today and age, right, it's, like, it's hard to kind of see that, like, the old school, like, old school. It's cool because you got to, ex to have, you got to be experienced that, right? But a lot of people now, like, you don't really see so, so many of that, so that kind of training, you know? That's a lot of things are more professional well, I mean, now. Back then, a blue belt was a unicorn. A purple belt was a real unicorn. Johnny was a purple belt, and that was, like, being, like, a world champion black belt mm. because it was a lot harder to get your belts back then. Well, you know. Yeah. You know, it was a lot harder to get your belts back then and yeah. finding real credential jujitsu. And I remember him mounting me, me like, how the hell is this? Where was his thing? gym? It was, this, was it called New Breed back then? No, it was East Los Angeles Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. East Los Angeles That's why the back of my shirt says established in 2001 because I uh, kind of feel that I'm carrying on that lineage. We went uh, to Santa okay. Fe Springs, but we were literally, our mat space was, 
little less than half the size of this room. And we had a little corner of a kickboxing gym, and we had great times. I got my blue belt in, in, uh, in 10 months. You know, we were just competing, and those were good times. You know, you don't need a big gym yeah. to get good. It, yeah. was, it was a lot. It was interesting watching that transition and then now seeing the commercialization of jiu-jitsu yeah. and the involvement. And there's good and there's bad with it. I think it's great that, you know, more people get involved with it and they're able to, to do stuff. But I kind of feel a little bit of some of the, the they say that the root-style training gets lost. Like, Johnny, Johnny, um, so you guys are in East L.A. And then uh, um, the, the I mean, what's his name? Um Roger Medeiros, yeah. Um, he was in uh, Orange La County. La ha no, he, La, La Habra. Yeah, he left La Habra to go to San Diego because he had a billionaire student that funded that school over there. Vito, it was given to Vito Belfort, but Vito Belfort left, and left. so he went to Pacific Beach. Johnny took over La Habra for a little bit from Chris Franco and John Owano while we were building out Newbury. And so Lu Lucas Leitch is there over there right now, yeah, right? Chris has always had a knack for attracting top talent. I mean, he had... Rodrigo, Vitor Belfort, Leo Vera, Javier Vasquez, and now Lucas. Yeah. So it's always been the same the same spot? The same spot. It's wow. always been like a, a champion factory. I'm, I've, I've trained on all the different people that have been there. I think like Lucas being there now is probably the closest that it was to, you know, back then when I started. It was mm. Tim Crater, John Ramirez, yeah, Javier Crater. Vasquez, wow, wow, wow. Romy Aram, you know. Tim Crater teaching me hill hooks as a white belt when Rodrigo Medeiros was gone. Later on, would lay the foundations That's for crazy, winning yeah. the Abu Dhabi trials. Uh, damn. Yeah, but that, yeah. that injury. Because I was wondering how the checkmate affiliation started with you. Oh, well, it's because um, it's Awano always brought people down. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into something I think that might help be instructive for a lot of people for mm. you just if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We course. talk barbecue. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's all intertwined, this. right? Yeah, right. It is. It's beat down. <laughs> so. Uh, Johnny Ramirez is hands down the best instructor I've ever had. But that being said, he was still learning while he was teaching mm -hmm. us. And I, like we I, all are, right? Exactly. Well, we're always evolving, you mm -hmm. know. And I was competing at, at middleweight and medium heavy. Unfortunately, most of my training partners were 130 pounders, 140 pounders. Mm -hmm. And as a, a student, I was always getting told, you're too strong, you're using too much technique, you're too strong. And what that did is they gave me like a little bit of a complex. So when all Using these, too much strength. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. all, the, all when Lucas and Leo and everybody came over, I was like, dude, where's like all this like no strength thing coming mm -hmm. from? These guys are going balls to the wall and they were closer to my size. So. Mm -hmm. It was for, I needed to get training. I tried. Tra I started training with them. I've been training Mark with Lucas and Marcelo Zato since like 2005. Okay. So, I mean, I had Johnny for the first part of my formative career, but arguably, like, I've been training with a checkmat team, mm. you know, Marcelo and Lucas, you know, longer, mm. longer. So that's kind of how that happened. Mm. And then I broke off. I had my school, mm. and um, I needed to get training. So I was driving from Alhambra all the way up to Upland to go ahead and get some training for the for Abu Dhabi trials. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like how that happened. And, you know, Lucas is a very welcoming guy, you know, really non-political dude. Like everybody come there and train. I felt welcome and I just kept training there. But more than that, like I said, instructive because, you know, when, when I, I was a short stocky guy, so I was told you're not going to have a guard, you know, you're not going to have a triangle instead of, well, man, you know, if you lock your legs around someone's thigh, they're not going to get out. When did you immerse yourself? How old are you when you found real jiu-jitsu? You started training with John, Johnny Ramirez? 18. How, 18. Yeah. Okay, and so you went all in. You're, you know, what was, what was your, what was your mom saying, for example? You can't make money doing wrestling. Why are you dropping out of college? I, everything I do, I'll go all in. We'll get to that barbecue story. How I went all in too later on, 
but I just went all in. I fell in love with it. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I never thought I was going to have a school. I thought I was like mm. going to compete, you know, maybe fight like a little bit of MMA or I would do um, another job on the side while being able to train jiu-jitsu. But everything I did was around funding the jiu-jitsu journey. And uh, what kept you going? What, what kept you going? Why, was, why didn't you stop? I wanted to get a black belt. Yeah, I wanted to get a black belt, and I wanted to win the Abu Dhabi trials. Those were my, my two goals. Like, mm. I saw Marcelo Garcia. I was I saw these Japanese people doing leg locks, and that's what I wanted to do. Right on. What was it like getting your black belt? It was it was, um, it was was a little bit bittersweet because I felt like it took a little bit too long, mm. like the, the chest injury, yeah. you know, that I have. But, you know, it was great. You know, How I, long was the process for that injury? Uh, 18 months for me to about to mm, be able to be able to come back but the reason what, what made it special for me is that i got my blue belt my brown belt and my black belt with rodrigo Maderos. Mm. johnny promoted me to purple but because he was under rodrigo i remember i was about to get my blue belt i wasn't quite sure if i was ready and mm. rodrigo's like no you go ahead and get ready and you know it was it was he promoted me to blue brown you know and black so even though he was mentoring me from afar he's always been you know a mentor toward me mm -hmm. and you know he really helped a lot of my promotion strategies and promotion uh, in that some of my, my teaching ways like remember he was saying that when you promote somebody it's not when you some instructors like to promote only when they think you're going to win a title at the next level and he says he likes to promote people when he feels that they're ready to learn at the next level mm -hmm. and like just like water, they're gonna rise to that level. He says he promoted people to black belt that weren't ready. Uh, my friend James got smashed, white, purple, brown, and I never remember him winning every, anything. Any, I just always remember him losing. Goes and wins brown belt worlds at adult. Mm. So you never know when when your time when your time's ready. So it's all about keeping people the journey because if they leave, they're never gonna reach That's that good. end. That's good you say that because people get no. Oh. Because I didn't win at white belt, I'm not going to win at the other belts, or you know, they think that, right? But it, it took Monique all the like way. Like Sal Ribeiro, who's my favorite, I think he's my favorite competitor of all time. You know, he told me he didn't win anything until black belt. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't place in an IBJJF tournament like Worlds or Pans until black belt. Monique didn't win Worlds until you know brown belt. Mm. You know, it was just. I remember like it was always. I used to call it the um, Cal State Dominguez curse. I would mm. show up and I would flop. I would, couldn't place at anything. And then mm. you know, I go a black belt, I get like two medals right away at adult. So you just, you never know when your time is. So go back, go back to that moment when you got your black belt, what was going through your mind? Like, you know, motions, like all the years, all the injuries, all the ups and downs, I mean, right? It, I, I like getting it over there in Pacific Beach because that was, it's always been like a second home or a second family. I don't know if you've ever trained at Madrigo, Madrigo School in PB, but it's like. I, I don't, I didn't, but I've always, he's always been so cool and, you know. I felt very well, like it, it feels like family. family. Yeah, even though he was Carlson Gracie, I always felt like he was he was cool. He was he was different, yeah, not different, was, but more more like warm and a little bit more personable. Personal, yeah, personal. Other Carlson Gracie, yeah, guys, exactly. You know, and it's well like little, little Brazil people from other teams have always mixed there. He's always had an open mind to mixing mm, wrestling and, and leg locks, and he was on one of the, my opinion one of the more technical guys. Yeah, you know, from that from that team. So mm -hmm. being able to basically like come back home. And get the black belt there and have you know that culmination That's of everything awesome. was it really it really meant a lot i wouldn't have wanted to have it you know and any other way just be be there at home and get in the warmth and i could i know i could walk in there right now and i haven't been was there john johnny was there too no oh okay <laughs> that's a different side okay. story okay it's okay it's okay <laughs> yeah the uh it's cool that you give you give give him give him credit you know oh, he's, now, yeah. my, my my style my formative yeah. style yeah. happened at white belt those basics for white to blue he took me as far as he could 
for that yeah. level yeah. and then getting to that next level. But I still ask him questions mm-hmm. to this day. I'll yeah. reference, hey, dude, like, what do you know about this? Because guy's an encyclopedia. Yeah, he's smart, like, man. He, he was, knows yeah. a lot, yeah. a lot, of, a lot, a lot of jujitsu. Yeah. Like even Lucas and Marcel, they, they all give him credit on his yeah. depth of jujitsu knowledge. Yeah. I really feel that that class of Wipeout, we really got the best job. Yeah. Like yeah. I've never seen him teach like that ever. So. Did you cry when you got your belt belt? Yeah, I, I teared up a little bit. It was really emotional to, to finally get there because there was a lot of drama. I'm not going to get into this podcast of people preventing me from trying to get my black belt, calling stuff in to prevent the promotion. Oh, yeah. yeah some of that like, <laughs> jiu-jitsu gossip. Yeah. They, uh, they didn't like it when I opened up my school. They were people that were... Oh, that's I got right. dojo. Right. I, I remember that. Yeah. I got dojo stormed by five black belts when I had a purple belt. This is, and this is not... Yeah, because you were young and you were like... A- you were young. You were young. I remember that. I remember because I'm friends with everybody, right? Mm. So I, I remember a little bit of that. I wasn't. I didn't know all about it, but I heard. You know, they got heel hooked. They were. What's that? They, they got heel hooked. They, they, got- <laughs> uh, they had people undercover black belts. Oh really? Storming, like, oh, I just want to train, and then you know they go and they beat up a couple of my guys, and you know I was in pretty good shape. You know, yeah. I still am now, but I was in good shape then. And, you know, I had to defend myself. But, it was like, the Dojo Story were, doesn't but, happen anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but this was, it, I had to Come on, man. You got the tail end of it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 2007. You're blessed, still, man. You got, you got the tail end of uh, the Fight Club yeah, 2007 experience. 2007 was still real enough. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's the Dojo right Storm. It's right at the end, you know? And now no one's going to Dojo Storm. They're going to call the cops, so. Yeah. What, so, so, uh, so uh, um, yeah, so you you said you cried, you cried because you remember all the, the memories. So, yeah, tell me, tell me well, more, I mean, man. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't understand about jiu-jitsu. It was like, you know, whether you win or lose, you know, you're, you're always bringing out the best version of yourself. You know, you're coming to train, you're trying to be the best version of yourself. And I really feel that, you know, when you get to black belt, you think about, you know, I think most black belts will resonate with us. Like, all the opportunities missed or lost, they go along the way. All the relationships that get built and all the relationships that you lose, it's mm. a hard journey. It's very easy for people to get up, you know, work gets hard, you know, relationships get hard, money gets hard, Yeah. you know, but to be able to still constantly, I think it's something that separates, you know, jiu-jitsu from other martial arts, just the amount of time that, that it, that it takes to get there and the amount of work that you need. So, I mean, that was an emotional experience, you know, for me, you know, I dropped out of college, you know, and in order to pursue this jiu-jitsu thing, cause it just felt right. So to finally get there and get the black belt, you know, technically like second degree, you know, um, I mean, second generation. I mean, Rodrigo Medellis is first generation, and mm. I'm under him. Second generation, Carlson Gracie Black mm. Belt. You know, was was amazing and to be there as part of that lineage, and you know, finally get that that combination and that you know that 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 recognition was was awesome. Yeah. You know, man. and that's something I try to tell my students that you know that that a lot of people never make it, and it's not their fault. Stuff happens. You know, wife, kids, job, moving. It's very easy to not to to talk yourself out of not showing up. You know, to that one hour twice a week. Going in the dr- talking about your mom, for example, you know, she's like, "You're not gonna be able to make money with wrestling stuff and things like that." And so, when did that when did that shift, or when did she see that it was good for you? Um, when I started the school, you know, I had a background in doing loans and sales, and then in 2007, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. Mm. I was this like I said I, I'm very impulsive. Like that's all that's all you're doing all day. You might yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that wasn't so much that I saw the writing on the wall that stuff was about to collapse. Mm. It was July of um, 2007. Oh, okay. And by, and I was talking about I want to open up a school in August in 2007. I had already prepaid a year of my lease, and there's a that also cost me a lot because the city didn't let me open. I lost six months oh, wow. of my lease trying to trying to open up. I almost lost it all. I threw. I, I got a good deal on the lease. 
I negotiated like half price and gave the guy $36,000 It's a lot front. of pitfalls, right? Yeah. But the good thing is that that whole experience with opening up in Alhambra, they're a very difficult city to work mm. with. It's kind of like boot camp. I've helped maybe open about 15 schools. Mm. Some friends of mine, I'll charge them. I already know mm. how to do all the paperwork. A friend of mine's opening up a restaurant mm. right now. The city has not let them open up for a year. She hired a professional person that specializes in business documents. Mm. Their app got declined. I spent an hour app got approved yeah it's nothing like experience right yeah experience is the best teachers experience is experience and learn and losing or or making mistakes right oh mistakes are the best i have way more l's than i have w's in my life yeah falling on my face lots of times yeah right on man that's 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 cool you know how many years uh how many when what year did you start training i started training in 2001 well, at 2001, it was March. I mm. remember paying to sign mm. up for Muay Thai and for Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. I trained for two weeks, and then I didn't show up till after 9-11. Okay. At 9-11, kind of coincidence, we're coming up on that 20-year right. anniversary. Yeah. You know, and when that happened, uh, I was like, dude, I don't want to. I'm young. I, was, I ran a little franchise of an alarm security company, mm. Edison. I used to door knock in Compton to sell people alarm systems. I had a friend that knew someone that worked in the police force and they would let me know when someone's neighborhood got broken into. Oh. And I would be there. Hustling, was, huh? You were 18 years old, hustling, yeah, knocking yeah. on doors. Yeah, exactly. Knocking on doors. Is, in is, Compton. In Compton. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't that, uh, that, that overtaken. It, was, it wasn't what it was now. It's a little bit more dangerous. But I remember going there, hustling, door knocking, canvassing neighborhoods. It was a great experience for anything. If you, you humble yourself to knock doors, you know, you're going to go ahead and be, be able to pretty much handle any sales job. So I did that, and then I had like $10,000 saved up. 9-11 happened. I realized life was short. Mm. I remember driving back from LA Fitness and listening to Big Boy on the radio talking about the Twin Towers went down. I was like, dude, screw this, man. I'm just going to go train. That's what I want to do. Like, you could, anything could be gone at any, any given moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I changed my career completely. I went from a commission salesperson to a dishwasher at Denny's because I reasoned to myself that if I washed dishes, I could get free food. I don't want to rely on my parents because I was in the, I was in the kitchens. My mm. dad was a custodian, you know, growing up. He came here from Nicaragua, not speaking English, and by, he was 12 years old. And by, wow. by, by the time he was 13, he already had a language mastered and won some national level essay contest. Wow. So that, I think that's kind of where my drive comes from to do stuff. So yeah, I wanted to work in the kitchen. What, what does your mom do? Teacher, they're both educators. Oh, okay. teachers. Yeah, that's what they that's what they both did. But my mom's family, they they actually go back to like New Mexico. We can trace them back like oh. eighteen generations, the Salcido side. You know. So yeah, and then I did that and I wanted to go ahead and work in the kitchen because I was fast. I could make my own hours. You know, they always they always needed dishwashers and that's kinda where I got I cut some of my culinary teeth working, you know, on the line in a diner at a Denny's and it was great because we when they have chicken breast there, they're in the whole they're in the warmer and they mm. never all get used. So I would get my meal prep right there. Chicken breast, rice, salsas, and I did that all the way through like purple belt because I was able to get free food working in kitchens. So you don't have to eat at home or whatever. Yeah, I just uh, nobody wanted a dishwashing job. Even back then, it was hard to find dishwashers. It was you know, excuse my language, but a shit job for most yeah. people. But I didn't care. It was yeah. easy. It allowed me to train. That's all I cared about was being able to train. Ah, uh, you got your black belt, and so what? What year did you get your black belt? Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. 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 Right on. You had your school already, and then, and then, and then, right? The struggles with that, right? Everything's, oh, it's maybe some people make it look easy, but it's like, 
Oh yeah, there's, there's been, there's been <laughs> I mean, you were getting Doja stormed, you know. I was getting in the be- and I kind of like that. Like the beginning was cool as Doja stormed. I mean, you were like, like, how old are you? Like twenty two or yeah, something? No, I was like 25, <laughs> 20, 20, 24. Yeah, twenty three, twenty four. Yeah, around there, like twenty four years old. So we went ahead and did that, and that was fun. And then as you grow the school and try to run it like a real school, mm. my door knocking experience, I was just aggressive. We got enrollments just because. I knew how to talk to people, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's nowhere near as organized as it is, you know, now. That shift in 2009, shifting from, like, you know, a competition, only school, will be, I guess, like, elite competition mm-hmm. school to, you know, opening up to families made the difference because I never wanted to be a teacher. My parents were teachers. I didn't want to do that. I don't want to go in law enforcement or military. And then now, you know, I'm a jiu-jitsu guy that, you know, was teaching. And even with barbecue, I'm teaching, too, so I couldn't get away from that part of that part of my my personal I guess my my skill set so we went ahead and did that and shifting and seeing and because you know, you're younger right you're like you're thinking about competitors you're in, even there weren't that many kids weren't that evolved yet right in competitions and stuff right no they weren't my my whole goal was to do the bat I had a chip on my shoulder because I'd gotten a little bit of ostracized from the team that I was at before mm. and my goal was to be better than them I wanted to be better than them. So I made sure prove. Any, at any tournament that we were at, we had to beat them. And mm. we did. Oh, for the kids yeah. and the adults. For, for, for the, any tournament we went to. You know, North America was brand new back then. Mm. I remember I took some students over to U.S. Nationals. I was a purple belt, and all my white belts won. We won mm. All six of them. I mean, I'm sorry, four of them won golds, and I felt vindicated. You know, but looking back, like I probably lost so much business just trying to make the school ready for those for those white belts. But it was it was good times. And what what shifted what shifted your mindset to like, man, I gotta run this thing like more professionally and you know well, did you think about you wanted to be able to like provide have a family in the future or well, was it just Well yeah, there were, there, I did I did come upon some new responsibilities, you know, that I had to deal with and then just getting injured made me realize I have, I have to shift. Like this competition stuff isn't gonna work. And fortunately for me, I had some great people that were loyal to me that mm. helped run the gym while I was able to find myself and work on that. Chris Wolford, uh, Noah Tillis, you know, who mm, I've Noah, known yeah. since he was a little boy. I used yeah. to take him to his pancreation matches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben Trivu, those people were all really stepped up for me, you know, to allow. And Johnny, too, during that time, he came out, you know, and, and he helped. And he gave, he gave feedback when I was first starting up the school, and I've always been able to reach out to him, you know, for, for advice. Mm. So, you know, those people really helped during that time while we started to get the shift. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't until you know, I started talking to Marco Savalon and Lloyd Irvin and some of those other people that I was really able to see, like, how a martial arts school was, you know, supposed to be, you know, run. Mm-hmm. You know, that made a, that made a big difference in changing it and making it for families. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want it to be for everybody, right, not just like, one group of people. Everybody I, can benefit well, from when it. When I got hurt, I got to think about, like, what the number one benefit of martial arts was and, like, you know, what, it, what did it do for me? What did I learn about myself? You know, I learned that I, you know, I'm determined. I learned that I, you know, I'm giving, and I learned you know, that I, that I liked helping people and, you know, how am I going to help other people decide that? Because I really think that it's easy to get caught up in, you know, the flashy submissions and the fighting, but it really is a martial art. We have, we're all given a certain deck of cards, body type, and we have to, you know, interpret that art in our own style, you know, and I really think that your personality, your true personality comes across on the mat. And when you're getting ready for competition, competition allows us to see, you know, the best versions of ourselves. Even mm-hmm. if you lose, you're still going to be right. a better, better version sure. of yourself. And I think that, I mean, back then I thought things were getting soft for kids, you know, for as far as like, you know, c- c- participation trophies, 
And I always thought for kids it would be great because they're able to get instant feedback. Mm. What worked and what didn't work. And I, and I had a student come in with one leg and not wow. feel sorry for himself. We used to call him half guard. Half <laughs> you know? guard, no way. Yeah, cancer, cancer patient. He'd beaten cancer wow. five times. And he was there to be an example for his son. And really seeing, you know, Larry, wow. you know, do that, like it gave me inspiration. I was like, man, this guy motivates, you know, me to be better. So it's, we're always learning, always trying to be a better coach, you know, for our students, especially during this past year. 18 months, you know, anybody that really wants to train, you know, they found out what's important to them. And people that were on the fence, they found out what's important to them. But it's kind of like, a, I guess, a, a rebirth. You know, people that really weren't about that training life aren't mm. here anymore. And people that still are and wanted to do it are here. Yeah. You know, things have never been so smooth at the gym, believe it or not, as they have been right now. Oh, I was going to ask you how it's been, you know, the last couple of years with the you know, the pandemic and everything. Yeah, I mean, jiu-jitsu, right? The opposite of social dis- distancing. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, definitely. I think that that uh, the past, honestly, like, I was really shocked that at jiu-jitsu school because when the pandemic first happened, as you know, I, I work with Ed and Scott, yeah. you know, at Chips, yeah. so we get access to Cancer. different kind of, some, some scientists. We had one of the guys that's on our scientific advisory board used to help run the um, infectious diseases area of the NIH, so I'm always able to hear you know, feedback that you're not mm. necessarily getting on the news. And in the beginning, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. I said, well, you know, we had to shut down for a little bit because, you know, was trying to go and keep things safe. Right. And then um, I was shocked that a jiu-jitsu school somewhere wasn't part of, like, a super spreader event because, like you said, it's opposite of social distancing. I wasn't, really wasn't worried about jiu-jitsu person, like, actually getting taken out. I'm sure there are some people that got hurt, but I was, I was positive that some kid at some school somewhere was going to take it back home to grandma and that kind of, mm. like, you know, didn't it didn't it didn't happen. You know, much like yourself, I have people there that are on visas and if they don't fight, they get deported. Yeah. You know, so we had to keep things, you know, going going for them and we did stuff, you know, within guidelines and compliance. We're in a small little corner of East Los Angeles that nobody, you know, really really cares about. But as we've gotten into like this next wave of students, we have a leaner staff. Monique and I are meeting all the people as they come in because I want to be selective about the people that enroll. I'm not just trying to enroll a bunch of people. Like we have a waiting list. We have like 50 people to get in the gym. We're only letting a few people in at a time just because there's like an interview process now, you know, for them to show up and make sure that they do want to be part of this family and that they're invested in themselves just like we're invested in them. So it's been pretty good, you know, rebuilding the gym and getting me to everyone from the ground up because prior to pandemic, I had like 25 staff members. There were some students I never knew, parents mm. that I never knew, you know, now we know everybody. Now it's tighter, huh, the, the group? Yeah, the I, think, I think Monique and getting pregnant, did that too. Like mm. it brought a lot of the students together around our son Seferino. It's a family. Your son's gym. name is Seferino. Steph. Seferino. 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 Gary Salva. Seferino is my wife's um, grandfather, mm. and Gary is her late father. So you know Seferino. Gary, Seferino. Gary. Yeah. Salva. So yeah, everybody kind of like came together with that. I felt like it was a glue that held us together. You walk in the gym now, is he he's sitting there watching class with his little jumper, very mm-hmm. into it, and it just brings a different vibe to yeah, the gym yeah. to what we had before. Yeah. So. I feel the same with with it just, it's brought us together closer, the team and just our community. You know, like just because, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're people needed it right to, well, not just to that. I mean, for their. Really keep their keep themselves sane. Yeah, Jiu Jitsu—it's so easy to play red, you know, and like be counter counter counterparts to other school members. Mm-hmm, and during mm-hmm. this whole time, we realized that we're out one Jiu Jitsu community. Yeah. The biggest place I noticed that was during competition training over at Lucas's. And before, mm-hmm. you know, it gets the 
Those ones get clicky. They mm. go on their side of the map. Americans mm. go on their side of the map. But when this whole thing happened, like everyone came together, all that little clickiness just kind of abolished itself. We were all there for the banner of jujitsu, and that's it. It's interesting. It's funny too. Like not funny, but interesting that they they're all patriotic. You know, the Brazilians are like super patriotic. I mean, they all came. Well, like so many people came here for for the opportunities, right? And now like these restrictions and all these, you know these government mandates like stopping the freedom right the the thing the american dream right yeah. stopping a lot of the things that they came here for it's funny to see a lot of immigrants have a little bit more patriotic tendencies than people that were born here here right i mean like the, like the saying goes like when they're raising your own house you know they don't know you know it's just it's just interesting yeah, a lot of them are very patriotic and are into their freedoms and making their own decisions and yeah, have you seen any of the Brazilian videos from this last week, the Independence Day in Brazil? No, I didn't. Like packed, like all the cities. Yeah, my phone was thrashed. I was pretty much off of uh, social media for oh, well, the entire time that I was at the event in Reno. We were there from August 31st up until um, September 7th. That's over a week. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. a little, little, bit, little bit over a week. Wow, so let's, let's talk about the, the Beatdown Barbecue. Yeah. So how, how did they go? How did that start? And 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 what's the, so what's the back, goal? It all goes back to jujitsu. At the end of the day, right. that was another big learning that I had for myself. Like you know, being I used to have kind of like a chip on my shoulder. You know, wrestling, American martial arts, and I never really thanked jujitsu for what it gave to me, but it did. It gave me the school. Met my wife there. Got my son out of jujitsu. Beat down barbecue, and my whole lifestyle is dedicated to the art of jujitsu. So that never happened. I might, we might never be having this conversation. So in 2009, when I hurt myself, I got into two hobbies: beer making and barbecue. Beer making. I was and making barbecue. I turned my gym into a mini brewery. I wasn't, wasn't selling beer, but I was making beer over there. Um, I gained like 30 pounds. I had to give up one of them. That's I right, you, the you were lifting weights, huh? I was lifting weights. <laughs> I was eating beer. Drinking, drinking, making, drinking, be, making beer and, and, and barbecue. Barbecuing. So I, I kind of learned it was a hobby, did a little bit of catering. Like I said, I always liked to cook. And then that kind of fell out. So about a month, before, two months before the pandemic, there's actually a, a, a Brittle Crane exclusive. I've never shared this portion of the beatdown barbecue story because I didn't want I didn't want to have like a, I don't want to give this this note tip, but I'll go ahead and share it. So two months before the pandemic, mm. a student of mine tried committing suicide. It was one of the kids that had been in my class since he was, you know, 10 years old. It was more of a cry for help, suicide, overdose some pills, and they called wow. up his grandma. You know, and th this time he's like 19 years old. So I said, hey, you know what? He always wanted to be a chef. So I said, hey, why don't we go ahead and do some barbecue together? You know, we'll, we'll come together. We'll split it down the middle. I'll buy all the equipment. Mm. So I reached out to my, my barbecue competition friends, bought some smokers, set everything up. Kid being a kid, he disappeared on me. It ended up having a good story. Good ending. He got a job. He's working as a as a sous chef somewhere, so it worked out nice, okay. But nice. dealing with teenagers, I got left with all the equipment. So I said, all right, we'll go ahead and do that. My kids' team needed some more gear. They were good at winning, but you know they didn't have patches on their geese. We didn't have a machine for a heat press. I said, hey, let's do a barbecue fundraiser. So we did that, and it got kind of viral. I remember that. I remember that first day. Yeah. The first. It was a, event. Yeah, we, we did that. It was barbecue fundraiser. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm gonna start doing this once once a week, once every other week. And then the pandemic hit, and I was like, oh, dang. So we had a couple options. Like, you know, much like yourself, we had different options. Like, what kind of leader are we going to be? Like, I'm, I'm, fortunately and unfortunately, like, I thrive under wartime. I like being stressed, you know, so I was a wartime leader. Brings out the best, best out of you. Yeah, I, had a, I realized I had to be a leader, you know, for the students that were there, and most, most for the instructors. A lot of them had no other way. They weren't yeah. going to qualify for unemployment. Mm. So I said, okay, 
we're going to have to start doing barbecue for real to pay the bills. I could shut down, can maybe apply for some mm-hmm. loans, but you know, I told the, we got, all the instructors got together and I said, I'm going to do this for you. We're a family. We either thrive together or go down together. We'll ride the ship until it burns down. So I started selling the barbecue and then it started getting really, really popular. Mm-hmm. A couple months into it, we got secret shot by the LA Times. And uh, we got named as a top 11 barbecue spot Damn. in the LA Times. And I was, as I was buying more equipment, Monique's like, what are you doing? You're spending more money. And I said, Monique, trust me. So I get goosebumps talking about this part. I got the same feeling about starting beat down barbecues when I started selling jiu-jitsu. And I've, you know me, I've tried several small different businesses, yeah, but yeah, this yeah. had that same, that same umph. I felt like God was pushing me in this direction. So it started as, you know, a pop-up once every other week, then every week, and then two times a week, and, you know, got... Really crazy, you know. We got we had a couple of people shout us out. Derek, the Black Beast, Lewis, shouted us out oh, wow. because I named a sandwich after him, the Black Beast. The Black Beast. My my thing is we make giant sandwiches, and now you know, we just cooked three thousand ribs in Reno. I wow. have my barbecue sauces and rubs and barbecue instructionals, you know, coming out soon. We're getting that we're getting that filmed as we as we speak. So, it grew. It just I guess you know. And you got, brought you brought today. What did you bring? I brought you some of our brisket with our brisket. OG. Our That's OG what you're with that the your top. It's one of our top items. Um, our style of barbecue is uh, like everything in California is a mix. So mm. I try to take the best um, out of. Uh, I'm as much a barbecue nerd as I am a jujitsu nerd. So I try to take the best of each region. Like everyone says that a lot of people don't know is that American barbecue is the only style of cooking that's native to the United States. We're a nation of immigrants. So all the styles that we have, that's the only one that started here. Now, some people say, you know, the slaves had their version of doing it. Um, Other people say it was Kansas City, this guy that was cooking roadkill. They all have their own versions of barbecue. And the way we do it here is a little bit mix of both. I like to take, you know, some of like the bark that you'll get from Texas barbecue. I have some nice sauces from like Kansas City and a little bit of the heat that you get from Memphis and Tennessee and mix it with the West Coast style, which is like, you know, tri-tip. So this rub that I have there is not traditional, but it's, you know, it's like jiu-jitsu. It's our, it's our own style. And initially it was just... How much time do you spend uh, looking at trying recipes out and looking at stuff how, how a long, day? How long has the pandemic been? <laughs> That's basically <laughs> about it. It just took me to the next level, getting those rips, and I've, I've cooked well over a 1,000 briskets in the last year and a half. Wow. Easily. You know, then Mike Balchan put us out. We did a cook for Chef Villanueva, and that, that catapulted us. You know, we, we built our following, you know, organically. We were at zero followers, you know, in February of last year. And now do we're you have six, an Instagram? Yeah. Beat down BBQ. So we just we just passed 16,400. Wow. You know, it's, it's, and they're, Beat they're down hi- BBQ. Yeah, they're, they're, they're highly engaged. And we also do cooks for the homeless. You know, last year we fed over 1,000 real homeless, not, you know, people that don't want to work, yeah. people that are really down and out on their luck. So we're able to give back. We like to do stuff like that. We're trying to plan a cook for some veterans, you know, pretty soon because I think it's, it's important to be outward focused, mm. like no matter what you're doing. You know, that's the one thing that I learned out of the pandemic. It, being outward focused is never going to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, it was easy to shut down the school and hold in or like beat down barbecue, only focus on, you know, money for us and money for the students and the school. But I wanted to teach people that you could still do this and be outward focused and still have a worthy cause while running a profitable, you know, venture. So, yeah. How can people find you or where do they work and they buy some brisket from you? Uh, on our Instagram, beat down Instagram. BB- okay. Instagram, you know, beat down BBQ.com and it'll beat down BBQ on Instagram. And they can order online and yeah, pick, they, it, pick it up. It's all, it's all by pre-order. We do it once a week. Right now we're on Saturdays. I was doing Sundays for 18 months, but after 18 months working seven days a week, that got old. 
So got a son now. We shifted over to Saturdays. I also want to be able to go back to church. So we're doing that on that's on on, on uh, Saturdays right now. Right on. And your son is one year one years old. Yes, one years old. You know, this August twenty second. One year old, right? Yeah, How do you say that? <laughs> it's awesome, man. Congrats, man. And Monique, you, you, I mean, we, you talked about how jujitsu is giving you everything, and like, you know, I, I mean, I, I think about myself, and it's like everything I have is because of jujitsu, my journey, right? Um, going forward, going all, you know, all in, and the lessons that I learned, and the things that it made me become, right? Um, so, can you talk a little bit about that? What it's yeah. done for you, like? Well, I mean, we can. I mean, what it's done for me is all those lessons. But I mean, I met my wife, my soulmate, over at the gym. I've never fished off the company pier. I was really good at keeping things separate. Yeah. Had a lot of soccer moms that were reaching out to me, but yeah. business was business. But I came back from a conference, you know, and and uh, I saw Monique on the mat, and mm. I looked across the mat from her, and I just saw my life flash before my eyes. Wow. You know, she was taking shots. She was looking at me, and I was like, I'm gonna marry this woman. I knew it instantly. My grandfather had a similar experience with my grandmother. So, you know, we did that. Things moved fast. You know, here we are eight years later, you know, married. You know, Eight, eight our, years later? Eight years wow. later, married with our, with our, you know, first son, first kid. So, yeah, but, I mean, jiu-jitsu's done a lot. It's taught me how to grind. This last weekend in Reno, you know, it was a seven-day ordeal. I was probably on my feet at least 14 hours out wow. of the 16, 17 hours we were awake. Being conditioned because during the pandemic, I actually got in better shape. Like right now, I'm walking like at 198, 199. I used to cruise like between 210 and 220. Mm. It, it got wartime for me. Like, I just like, I was like, stuff might go down. I need to be in good shape. Being fat's not good. So I slimmed up. But all that conditioning, like, it served me well during the time in Reno. We're working with people that aren't necessarily in the best amount of health mm. and being able to have the stamina to sit there and stand all day long, all the training. You know, definitely, you know, help with that. And like I was telling the students yesterday, like I have to think about the mentality of, you know, when you're getting ready to, you know, train, cut weight, you can always take those lessons into anything, you know, that you do. And I had to do that this weekend in Reno, 3,000 ribs. I probably sliced about 3,000 ribs. Yep, 3,000 racks of ribs. We were getting up at 5, 6 in the morning, cooking loads. What's, what's the event? What's the event like? So it's called a Nugget Rib Festival. Like I said, I'm pretty new to the barbecue world. Mm. It's been going on for 34 years. There were about 600,000 people in attendance during that week. Uh, they come out every year. It's the biggest barbecue vending event in the world. I was invited by some friends of mine who are high-level barbecue competitors. It was their first time vending. It was kind of cool because they don't have vending experience mm. that much. And I had a lot of vending experience. So it was good to mix everything together mm. and you know, show them how certain things get done, working on the line, going back to you know, being a dishwasher and working in Denny's, like all that stuff like came into, came into play. It was interesting. It was a very grueling event. It was the hardest cooking experience I've ever, I've ever had. It was, mm. felt like I was doing my weight class in two opens. <laughs> Relating everything back to you. Yeah. I want to ask you one more time, like what your vision is, what your goals, where you go. I didn't get to finish on the, on the B-Town Barbecue your goals are what your vision is for for that yeah so my vision for beat down barbecue is you know it's gonna i want to take it as big as i can i don't want a restaurant i've worked that before it's going to be its own line of unique you know rubs and sauces mm -hmm. we have um our first sauces coming out should be here in about 10 to 12 weeks like everyone else the sauce people can't find people to work during the pandemic mm -hmm. so even though the recipe's packed tight mm -hmm. um that's going to be coming out our local better the barbecue sauce and also instructionals for people so it's you know instructionals. I have my product and barbecue for begin bbq for beginners.com is the website should be coming out with our first instructional pretty soon 
And much like jujitsu, we had to adapt that. So I put a, a message to my followers and I asked them what the number one thing was that they wanted to learn. What do you think it was? How to do it? Yeah, but how to do it if you don't have a barbecue grill oh. and if you live in an apartment. Um, going back to jujitsu again, when Monique and I first started dating, I was living out of my gym. I didn't have anything else but a hot plate and a heat source. So I knew how to, I learned how to do all that stuff indoors. So we're, our first series is going to be how to make like a barbecue steak indoors and still get that smoky flavor if you live in an apartment. So oh, wow. we're doing that with an air fryer. And then we're also going to be doing a local rib seminar nice. pretty soon in a few weeks. So we're going to go two ways. But I mean, I, I kind of feel like a jerk if I just bring up my commercial smokers and say, hey, guys, this is how you cook. So what's the what's the what, what's the smoker? What's the grill that you use? I've got a few. Um, uh, they're named after my grandparents. So the one that I have is called Graciela. It's a it's a stumps. It's an XL box smoker, made of made of steel. Mm. <laughs> I mean, made of made, made of iron. It's heavy. And I have an old hickory pit, which is a restaurant style smoker. These smokers are huge. I can get twenty four briskets. Wow. In in my bigger one, and you know, twelve in the smaller one. So my goal with this next series that I'm doing is I'm going to find the most junky looking smokers, like something you would find in a yard sale, and show them how to do it on that like a beat up whatever girl. Cause that's relatable to people. I don't want to just be showing stuff for people that have nice things. Yeah. I'm going to show how to do stuff on like junk. Cause I, I've cooked on a trash can. I, I can make good barbecue on a trash can. Yeah. And so, and then, and I was I'm thinking about like with jujitsu too, you know, like it's your life, right? So what's, what's, what's your legacy? What would you like to give, give back? It's given you so much, right? Your fan, you know, your family, your way of life, right? Barbecue too. Yeah, that, that's why we're still here. I mean, with everything going on and with the skill sets that I have, it's very easy to up and leave California. Mm. I could do barbecue anywhere, instruction was everywhere, but we're still here in East Los Angeles. I think that we're able to make an impact on the youth in mm. the area mm. and more so families in the area. That's the one thing that happened. All the single people that were on, you know, talk gym owner talk here on monthly memberships are gone. All the families stayed. They mm. needed a place for their kids. Mm. When the pandemic first happened, a lot of people didn't have babysitters. They didn't know what to do. The gym's pretty big, and I converted um, a thousand square foot room into a computer lab, and we were basically running a private school there for free. Wow. I didn't charge the parents. My, par my, my family's all educators, so I had credentialed teachers in there helping the kids get through the Zoom classes. You know, these kids not being able to get social interaction. I don't even yeah. know what the long-term ramifications yeah. are going to be and everything going on, but I'm able to make a difference, yeah. you know, for the kids that are there now and yeah. allow them to get social interaction now and still yeah. learn all the lessons and still keep them together. So, like, that that's our main thing, trying to be a, a bastion of hope out there in, in, right in East Los Angeles. And it's a non-political environment. There's no left, there's no right. Yeah. There's just jiu-jitsu. Human, human race. Same thing with the 323 market that we have. It's community. The one thing that we learned out of this, this pandemic that happened, no one's going to come save us. We have to provide for ourselves. So kind of like people did back in the day, we've come together as a community. We have local vendors that are able to operate in a safe environment in our parking lot. So that's the message, you know, to, to be a bastion of hope, what's going on over there, non-political, come in, live a healthy lifestyle, and just come together and interact and have fun. Yeah, right on, man. That's awesome. Yeah, barbecue, uh, the combination, right? Barbecue, jiu-jitsu, you know, family, right? Yeah. <laughs> and people always remember my students, you guys, you just open a barbecue shack with the jiu-jitsu school. Like, no, 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 no. It's too complicated. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't want to Separate those that. things. Yeah, but with meat prices going the way they are, the, the rubs and sauces are going to be great because I kind of feel that, you know, it's going to be diff more difficult for restaurants to survive and more... 
And if there's like, I hate to say this, but there's like another lockdown or something yeah. like that, people are, have, have discovered new hobbies. I didn't, I wasn't going to do instructionals because like I, I learned a lot on my own. I went mm. to YouTube and I experimented and there's good information out there, but people want it packaged, you know, for them. So it was a request from a lot of our followers, you know, sending us messages that we're putting together the instructional. So yeah. we'll see where, where it goes. You know, we, we just finished getting beat down barbecue, go through the trademark process, and oh, wow. we'll see where, where, where it lands. We have beat down coffee, you know, coming out also. So it's kind of cool to be able to bring the martial arts brand, you know, together, you know, with, uh, with the barbecue world and show them that you can do both. You know, there's, there's no, you don't have, there's no reason to separate it. You out. mentioned like you, you like people leaving California and things like that. What, what makes you, you're like, I'm not leaving. I'm, you know, what made, what makes you well, want to well, stay connected to your community? Well, one of my parents are here, like, you know, everyone working at the hospital, you know, realize, you know, the life's short and everyone that's there, they always talk Chips about hospital. Chips a hospital out there and flies to Tijuana. You know, mm. they always cancer patients. Yeah. There's always, you know, people that wish that they had a day longer with their mom, day mm. longer with their dad. And things are difficult now, but my parents have sacrificed a lot for me. They're getting older, so I'm here to sacrifice for them, too. That's why the gym's so close. Mm. And during the pandemic, because gyms were closed, there were members of my family that weren't talking together. Well, they only had one place to work out. So, like, my brother and my father really were on speaking terms. They have to lift weights together. So now they're, they got their relationship, you know, back together. So... You know, that's, that's why I stay here, mostly for my family, my parents, and the dedication of my students, you know. Mm. We have people that are lifetime members at the gym. Like, it would have been very easy for the mm. gym to close. You saw that happening in the pandemic. A lot of people, they were out of business mm. within the first month. And realistically, no one's going to shut your doors down in a yeah. month. You just didn't want to do it. It's okay. Yeah. Like, running a gym is very hard. There have been a lot of, like, sleepless nights. I remember, you know, breaking down in tears even when I realized that I had to sell barbecue and make sales on a week to keep my gym open. Mm. I was like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> it, it got, it got difficult, you know? So that, the reason I stay is for my family and for my, for my community. Yeah. Right on, man. Well, man, it's awesome. Great work, man. With all the stuff you, congratulations on your, on your career and what the more to come, right? It's just beginning, you know, and hopefully things clear up. They don't lock us down some more. Right, with, no, they uh, with they hit me up for like the Netflix series a couple weeks ago, the American Barbecue Showdown. On the way. Yeah, I did one interview on the phone and then I did a Zoom interview uh, two weeks ago. Um, and it was, it was a good learning experience during that interview because as we're doing jujitsu, it's real easy for us to have a solemn face you yeah. know, and not, not smile. And I just think it's normal because that's just how I am when I'm training. And during that interview process, we did two hours. Jason mm. smiled, Jason smiled, Jason smiled. So, they said that to you. Yeah, it was good feedback. So I put my gi on during the, during the interview. We did the Zoom call, talked to him how it was a black belt and, you know, what we we're going to do. And we'll see where it goes. Right it's an interesting process. It was, it was kind of fun to go. I hadn't done a casting call since I used to do professional acting as a child. I did commercials. I actually made it to the final three for Free Willy. <laughs> free Willy. Yeah, for Free Willy, yeah. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I, I was, used to do professional acting. I did Celebrate LA at the Greek Theater. Uh, I had a, had a small little acting career for a moment in time, and I made it to the final three for Free Willy. So I hadn't had a chance to have that casting call experience since, that, since I was in fifth grade. You chose the jiu-jitsu, the jiu-jitsu lifestyle instead. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that I was. My uncle was a producer for Channel 2, and he wanted to get me an agent to like mm. push me in. It's all about connections. My parents said, no, we didn't want Jason to do that. That lifestyle At, at for the time, you. I was very angry. I'm like, dude, I can make it, you know, be famous, but I would have crashed and burned hard. So it's, it's a I, tough, tough, uh, tough life, right? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is what it is. It you is know? what it is, yeah. Life's great. I wouldn't trade the jiu-jitsu journey, you know, for, you know, every, everything. It's like that question they always tell us, like, would you give up your black belt for, you know, a million dollars, even, mm. like, all the money in the world? But if you do that, like, you have to give up all the relationships, all the experiences you had in that time. That means my wife, the, my friends, my son. Mm. None of that's going to happen. Like, it's been, it's been, a, great, been a great journey through jiu-jitsu and looking to carry it on, you know, even farther. Yeah, and spread it, right? Congrats, man. Congrats. Thanks, brother. Thanks for your friendship, too. No, for sure. Definitely. It's been, it's been amazing to see you grow up over the years and, and just work hard, you know, at everything that you do. Yeah. And it's really cool to see, you know, you bring the briskets up for, for us to try now. You know, it's just like it's like a lot of love, you know, a lot of, a lot of passion, like, you know, like, you know, you're, you're a hard dude, you know, but then it's, it's really nice to see you smile and just open up, you know, so I appreciate uh, just uh, our relationship yeah, and definitely. our friendship for over the years. I appreciate you too, and you know, watching you being one of the one of the leaders during the pandemic to keep things, you know, going strong. You're in a woke part of Los Angeles too, and you know, you're still keeping things, you know, strong, you know, over here. And one of my one of my old students trains with you now too, mm-hmm. Salvin Mendez. Oh, Salvin. Okay. Yeah. 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 He, he, he's a lifetime member at the gym. Oh, nice. It made it difficult for him to uh, make it out there. So yeah. he's training here with you too. Oh, and nice. He has a lot of good things to say about the training here. Nice. So. Good. Good. Glad to hear that. So, Salvin, when you watch this. Yeah. Shout out to Salvin. <laughs> yeah. Right on, brother. Right on. All right, cool. It's been a pleasure. Thanks.